Hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. I hope everyone had a fun, relaxing, enjoyable, safe 4th of July. I sure did. And what we are talking about today is Randy Mueller. I don't know if you know that name or not. He was a longtime NFL GM. He's had a podcast with my buddy Mike Sando now for two years or so. It's a, it's a good listen. Sando's a great dude. Consider him a friend from our ESPN days. So they're a good team on the air. And Randy has started to dabble with writing now. I mean, he um, is no, no longer in the league, of course. Now he's one of us media folks that, you know, spent time in the league much longer than me, of course. And his first series is he's he went division by division looking at each team through a GM's eyes. You know, what would worry me most about this team if I was that team's GM sitting here at the the beginning of July, before camp starts, you know, what are my concerns? And I thought it was interesting. And the AFC North came out today. I think the East and a couple of them already have come out. This is third or fourth in the series. So I'm going to spend the first half of the podcast talking about the other three teams, and the second half of the podcast, talking Stellars. So I'll be honest, Randy didn't have a lot of negative to say about the Bengals. I mean, he even starts his conversation by saying the Bengals have been the class of this division for the last two years. And they have been. I, I mean, I, I credit Burrow a great deal to that as, does that, as does Randy. So here's a couple stats he mentions, too. They ranked third last year in third down conversion rate. And Joe Burrow's passer rating was 100.8, despite an offensive line that is average at best. That has to be disheartening for opponents, meaning Burrow's lighting you up behind a bad offensive line. Uh oh. And then they go and sign Orlando Brown away from the Chiefs at 16 million per year for four years. But then he says how that really fits the Bengals' financial philosophy. Now, the Bengals probably weren't my best place to start because he doesn't get overly critical. But he kind of implies that this offensive line is still a little overrated and those around them bump it up more. And my thoughts are Orlando Brown's a better left tackle than Jonah Williams, who they've played with the last few years. And now Williams will go to the right side. Maybe you get better at two spots. I think you definitely get better at left tackle. And who, because I think Williams is a farly overrated guy. But I also think Orlando Brown's one of the most overrated tackles in the league. So, Going from an overrated Williams and improving to an overrated Brown, it's fine, but I don't know that it's as massive of a deal as people tend to think. Now, here's some things that I definitely agree with as well that he talks about with the Bengals is defensively, this team does more with less than any team in the league. I think that's true. I think they're sort of this you know, the, this version of the no-name defense in the NFL, yeah, they have some good players. Don't get me wrong. But they don't have Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. And, you know, th- th- there's not a star-studded group. And, you know, here's what he mentions is you know, Lou Amarumo, to me, their defensive coordinator, is just phenomenal in his game plan designs, his adjustments storing games, which are tremendous, as good as any in the league. And, and here's what Randy says about the defense is, is the Bengals confuse and befuddle opposing quarterbacks, which should be the bottom line for everyone. Per true media, their opposing quarterback ranking rating is 80.1. That is number one in the NFL and unbelievably good. You know, I got to be honest. I don't know 
quarterback passer ratings all that well. I know 80.1 is extremely good. I didn't realize it was elite. So basically running it back with a little bit better left tackle, couple different names on, you know, in the starting unit, but it's Burrow, it's Amaruno, it's Chase. You know, I mean, we, we know what the Bengals are. The Ravens are a little different, you know, and he says, this is not last year's Ravens. I put that in bold. It isn't. I absolutely think so. The Ravens have better players on offense and their quarterback question is solved for the foreseeable future. 100% agree. I mean, Lamar's locked up. There's no denying that. And I think the players they're putting around him, especially the skill position players, are the best he's dealt with. So here, here's some more stuff Randy says. is It's now up to new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, who, frankly, I'm a fan of, fresh off two national championships while running the offense at Georgia, to put it all together. Munkin has already said he wants defenses to have to defend the entire width and length of the field when facing the Ravens. The problem, though, is spreading out defenses will force Jackson to have to make many more throws in areas of the field that have not traditionally been his strength. I think that's really noteworthy. He, more than probably any quarterback, any successful quarterback of late, Lamar really targets the middle of the field between the numbers, Andrews, you know, tight ends. Personally, I think he's a better passer than maybe many of you do or you know people out there do. And I think he'll do just fine with out routes and go routes and outside the numbers stuff. But it's not what he's done his best work as yet. I'm more in the Lamar camp that if you would have given him quality weapons, he would hit them wherever you are on the field. But we haven't seen it. And he also says the field will be defended differently just based on the skill set of the receivers. So defenses won't clutter the middle of the field bracketing Andrews as much, especially if Odell or Zay Jones or, you know, Bateman or two of the three really emerge. But then he goes back to another good point. The key is that the run game, which has been essential to the play action game and utilizing Jackson's skill sets to his finest, must still be effective. So you're spending, I mean, the way I took that, and this isn't what he said, new offense, Munkin's in there, we're going to throw the ball more. But do you spend a little less practice time or you get a little worse in what your bread and butter was in the meantime? There's only so many hours in the day. So interesting. And what he says to finish this is, my biggest worry for the Ravens is whether Jackson can handle the change in offense. I think that's fair. We just don't know. He's not saying Jackson's dumb. He can't figure it out or Jackson can't throw. He can't figure it out. We don't know. He's going to be asked to do things that he has not done successfully in his career. Uh, Brownie's nuggets here. Starts with Watson. I mean, if you're a GM, how could you ever sleep at night with Watson right now? I mean, it might work out great on the field, but it has to be mind-boggling and scary. So Watson's anticipation and his instincts were not up to par once he returned to the field. He must elevate the downfield passing game and be way better at getting the ball out for this team to progress. Couldn't agree more. I mean, he was terrible, but those were two main areas, timing and getting the ball downfield, making big plays. So he also says quarterback isn't the only concern. See, I think this is interesting too. So 
The analytical team building that governs most of the Browns' decisions is probably at a make-or-break level, specifically on defense. And guys, they're like the most analytically driven team in the league. Last year, the Browns generated 34 sacks, forced 20 turnovers, and were 19th at getting off the field on third downs. None of those are good numbers. They blitzed at the 16th highest frequency and played man-to-man even less frequently. That all adds up to a heavy dose of vanilla bend-but-don't-break defense. These numbers are probably why the front office fired defensive coordinator Joe Woods and replaced him with Jim Schwartz, who could change the philosophy if nothing else. He's definitely going to. He's going to come out with this wide nine, attacking, you know, front four. A move like this is common when a front office believes his players are better than the team's results. My worry is the players who make up so much sense from a numbers analytical angle either don't fit with the system, which has now changed, or that those players are just not good enough, and maybe the football evaluations need to be tweaked. That's coming from a GM. Ouch, that stings a little, you know. Um, By my count, the Browns have added at least five new parts to what I considered a mediocre group of front seven players in 2022. They have done a lot, but it's far from a guarantee. I thought that was a well analyzed look there at all three of those teams. Quick break, quick sip of water, and then we'll talk Steelers. All right, let's read this one verbatim and react as we go. He's a, he's a believer. Steelers are operating under the radar this offseason, undervalued in both win total and national media attention. They have done an excellent job of tweaking their roster and trying to get back to being a more physical on both sides of the line. I agree with all that, not because I'm a Steelers dude. I just think that's the truth. I'm excluding the defense from this discussion, except to say it ranked last season in the top half of o- most areas that matter. Points allowed per game, yards allowed per rush, sacks, and opponent passer rating. He's saying they're all above average in all those deponents. Steelers need to improve getting off the field on third down, but second-round pick Joey Porter Jr. should help versus, versus matchups, which is what third down is mostly about. People don't think about that. You know, getting off the – third downs are mostly more about matchups than the early downs. Getting one more piece in your coverage repertoire could go a long way, even as a rookie. I love what they're bringing, what their top draft picks bring to the table on offense as well. Broderick Jones is my top ranked offensive tackle, and tight end Darnell Washington's presence in the run game will go a long way to righting what has been wrong with this team on offense the inability to knock people back at the point of attack and execute in unison. Adding some punch at offensive guard was also necessary, which they accomplished. The Steelers have not run the ball well enough, though. They ran 500 times in 2022 but the average gain per play was just 4.1 yards, 25th in the league. They need to improve in this area to help the development of young quarterback Kenny Pickett. My worry is the run game will continue to work in a horizontal fashion, not a downhill vertical style that Mike Tomlin would prefer. They need to use the newly acquired mass to lean on people up front. Now, I'm going to fight Randy a little on that. Through the course of the year, he's 100% right. And the Steelers agreed with them. They go get Salamalu and Herbig and Washington and big moving people out of the way guys in unison. I love how he said that. But I really think the second half of the season was not a horizontal running game. It was a downhill running game 
but it lacks explosion. You know, it's four yards of carry, 4.1. But when there's no 20s, 30s, 40s in there, it's a little misleading because I don't think it was 0, 1, 10, 12. It was 4, 4, 6, 3, you know, like consistent gains downhill. So I do think there was great strides made there. And now you bring in better people movers. I like where they're at. Last thing Mueller says is, my other big concern is the health of Pickett, who missed time last year with concussion symptoms. He has to be on the field for the Steelers to win. You can say that about any quarterback, but I didn't like how, you know, we talked about this before. I didn't didn't like how he got thrown around. Um, He's going to do a better job of identifying pressure. He's exceptional at eluding pressure. But I also love the fact that he is noticeably bulked up. And I can tell you that with my own eyes, seeing him at minicamp and OTAs, his body looks better. He has more armor on his body. He's thicker. He's stronger. But folks, he's never going to remind anyone of Bradshaw or Ben. You know what I mean? It's just physical marvels back there that can take a beating to no end. That worries me a little about Pickett, too. Uh, How could it not? All right, folks. I'll be back tomorrow. Take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.